The Motorcycle Show is brought to you by DiscountRamps.com. DiscountRamps.com offers a huge selection of power sports products for your ATV, UTV, motorcycle, and more. Everything you need to load, haul, or transport your power sports toys. Listeners can save 15% using code 2WHEELS. That's the number 2, W-H-E-E-L-S, on DiscountRamps.com. This is the Motorcycle Show, episode 16 for April 3rd slash April 2nd, Across the Pond edition. I'm Crash. And I'm Daddy No Fun. How's it going, man? You look good. You, you. Uh, there's less of you. It seems like. Yeah, significantly. Yeah, I actually have been like giving away my clothes. Mm. Well, because, that's, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I, you know the the sad thing is I had bought. I don't know if you guys know that there's a uh, brand of motorcycle pants called Diamond Gusset that I had bought in at the barber show a few years ago. And they're really nice pants. They're Kevlar lined and they're, they were a size 40 and I couldn't wear them. They didn't fit me. They were way too small. And recently I was like, oh, these don't fit because they're way too big. So nice. that's cool. I'm I was just telling just just somebody. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to lose a little weight on deployment, but until I leave, I'm just eating everything I see in Japan. Um, without, uh, without making them wait too long, uh, we've got our good friends Scott and Doug on the show again this time. Uh, ham and cheese, uh, friends of the show. <laughs> uh, how's it going, guys? Hey, it's going great. Yep, doing doing good. Nice. We never did figure out who the ham was and who the cheese was. I don't think. Nah, it's not necessary. That's fine. Oh, uh, Scotty's definitely Scotty's definitely the cheese because every time we get a dad joke out of him, we're all like, "Oh, cheese." <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were interchangeable, the ham and cheese. Probably right, yeah. Yeah. You got to keep them guessing. <laughs> it's funny because I saw Doug not too re- not too long ago at the uh, the German Oktoberfest, German American festival. I was walking around looking for something that I could eat. <laughs> and, um, and you- <laughs> he was working a booth. I was like, "Oh my, what are you doing here?" Like, yeah. I went to uh, all, the, all the gin joints. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did not expect to see Steve there of all the places. That's yeah. Steve. I, um, I went to uh, like, so it's cherry blossom season here in Japan and um, they go crazy for it. And uh, I was at this park where they had a bunch of street vendors and stuff. It's sort of like cherry blossom festival day there and whatnot. And I, I bought a little like sausage on a stick and I got one bite of it and then I dropped it on the ground accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> like no, oh. and I, I the bite that i had had like way too much of the like spicy like chinese mustard on it and so i didn't even get like a good bite i got like a whoo not gonna do that again kind of bite and then i really i really didn't i dropped it on the ground so <laughs> do they do they have the five second rule in japan does that apply over there i mean i, I would not do that with a, a, a hot dog <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so much dirt on it. Like, and it, it was like, it was cut along the sides and all with like these little slits along the sides. So I mean, if it had been a regular hot dog, I might've just been like, yeah, and like brushed it off. But it had all these little like crevices in which to collect dirt. <laughs> so nah, I'm that's like, gross. I'm going to go buy something else. <laughs> it was a good time though. I got to, I played with a new camera lens I bought, which I'm not going to devolve into a camera podcast for a minute to talk about it. It was, it was a fun experience. I learned a few things that I need to remember for next time um i also saw a guy with a huge lens like like it looked like a cannon not the brand like the military implement you know it was like five feet long and just enormous but there's this little old japanese man lugging it around <laughs> Um, but uh yeah so that my only real motorcycle thing that i've done lately is go back and forth with the navy about whether or not this motorcycle class next week is going to be canceled and i finally got the answer from the guy that teaches it it is going to be his last class so i am going to get to take a class on my my friday so you guys is thursday uh which will allow me to be legal to ride a motorcycle in japan just in time to go what about this is the suzuki um, I haven't even really bothered to go look. I'm still trying to figure out the parking situation and everything here. So, and I also, since I can't ride it, I was just like, well, I'm just, if I bought it, it would just sit. And I'm also going on deployment in about a month and a half. So it would, it'll probably make more sense to just get something when I come back, but I'm going to go yeah. for one of those things. Yeah. Get something really cool that you can bring back with you. Something you can't get in the States, right? Yeah. So that's, but, that's what you got to do. Right. Yeah. So we've talked about it, me and Steve, and then also Phil from a Cleveland Moto. There's this motorcycle that was released in 1992 only in Japan um, called the Suzuki SW1. I highly encourage you both to look it up when you get a chance. It looks like it looks like a Honda Cub 
and like a TU-250 had a baby. So it has like the scooter leg shields, but it's a 250cc motorcycle, but it also has like integrated saddlebags that are like not removable. They're just part that's of cool. the body of the bike. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and because Japan's such a like slow speed country in terms of their freeways or not their, their expressways and stuff, there's no reason you couldn't, you can take a 250 on the, on the expressway here and it's, you're not barely keeping up with traffic. Like you're just, you're just another part of another person in the mix. Like it's no big deal. It's what's, what's the challenges on getting it back to the United States? If any, um, not really anything. So it's over 25 years old. So it's totally legal for import into the U S and, um, it's, it's part of, it's considered part of my household goods shipment when I move. So it doesn't actually count as a vehicle where the Navy only allows us to transport one vehicle to, or, you know, to and from a, you know, a location, but they will motorcycles just, they, they count as the same thing as my bed or my TV or whatever. It just counts against my total weight limit. Um, and given the fact like the rank that I am, like the more higher ranking you are, the more, the higher your weight limit is. And I don't, I'm, I'm at a rank where it would be expected for me to have a family. So I have like a family sized weight limit, but I'm only <laughs> a, a one guy. So when I moved out here, I was less than half the amount that I could have uh, technically brought out by the Navy's like rules. So that means I could bring a lot of motorcycles home. <laughs> Um, I, there, I know guys that have like brought, they'll, they'll buy like in high demand engines and stuff and like, like in crates and they'll just bring them home. Cause they're, you know, our weight limit is you know pretty high. Like I can bring, I think like 9,000 pounds worth of stuff. And I brought less than four out here. So a lot of motorcycles. It is a lot of motorcycles. Yeah. Like 5,000 pounds of motorcycles. If you figure like, you know, roughly 500 pounds a piece. Yeah. Uh, Got my 18 motorcycles here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, me and, uh, five guitars and 10 motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, people people that see my like French Japanese people that you know see my place are like, wait, you have two TVs, and I have to like explain to them like, yeah, I lived in a house where I rented rooms out, so like I had a TV in the living room and a TV in the bedroom because apparently a lot of people here, if they have a TV, they just have one, and then I have this ridiculously large compared to like by their standards TV because I used to have a big living room, and now my TV feels like it's three inches from your face. <laughs> it's like, oh god, it's so big. It's almost too big. Speaking of guitars, you know, um, Japanese. Fender guitars are really sought over over here. So I've heard if that. Yeah, that you, that you like at all that speaks to you, just get it because it shouldn't be very expensive over there. And if you decide to bring it home, you can always find a home for it easy. Yeah, I, I wonder what the I wonder if Japanese people like Mexican fenders because I have a Mexican fender. <laughs> I don't know about maybe, that. Maybe the Japanese ones are, were really really high quality. They were. You know, when the when Fender set up the Japanese factory, uh, I think in the late 80s, um, you know, high, high quality was the watchword. So, yeah, even at a time when the American stuff was struggling with quality, the Japanese had really consistent builds. So, yeah, that's one of the things that we've noticed. You know, just it's sort of like a, a cultural difference, you know, like, you know, when when Chevy was making cars that were having things fall off, Toyota was making these like super reliable, you know, mm -hmm. precisely manufactured things. And then same thing with with guitars. And then even with like the helicopter I work on, we we have a depot maintenance facility here that's, you know, run by it's a Japanese company that does the contracting for it. And we have a depot maintenance facility in San Diego. And the everybody that tells dealt with both of them tells me like the quality of the maintenance that's done at the Japanese facility is leaps and bounds above what's being done and in San Diego. Um, and it's just like a cultural like attention to detail and like, you know, pride in like because, you know, Japan is like such an honor you know honor honor and pride and stuff is such a huge deal here so they would i always like, think of that i always think of that scene from back to the future from 1985 when he's yeah. talking to about the vcr he's like doc all the good stuff's made in japan man mm -hmm. and that was like 1985 and that was the thing you know all the yeah. good stuff's made in japan doc yeah it's it's really interesting to see um i learned one other thing random thing before we get to talk about about motorcycles i learned really recently was that if you're apparently if you're a young employee of a large company in japan you most likely unless you have a family live in like the company dorms with other young junior employees of the company um yeah. and that just seems wild to me i mean i realize i'm in the navy we do the same kind of thing but like i only really thought about that as being a military type of thing not like you know that toyota's factory has a dorm where their like junior you know people live like their own little company town yeah yeah 
one of the first learn one of the first words that I learned in Japanese is actually the word for like company employee. Um, what did you use that for? Just I, out of curiosity. I really ever. Um, it's just one of the where it was like in the, the, the Japanese lesson I was taking. It like was one of the first things when they were talking about professions, you know, like how do you say like who's like if somebody's a doctor or a teacher, it was like doctor, teacher and company employee, hmm. um, which yeah, I just recently specific word for that in, in our language. We don't have a they value it so much they have a word for it. Yeah. And I learned recently that I guess this it's that you use the tail end of that word at the end of the company name to say like if you're a Toyota employee, it's like you use the end of the word for company employee at the end of the word Toyota. And so that's how you know, like, oh, I'm a Toyota employee or, you know, mm-hmm. a whatever. Um, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's definitely been an interesting experience. Like I said, I've got, I got about six weeks left before we go out on the ship for a few months. And then supposedly we're going to come back in the middle. I still don't really believe it, but only cause they haven't done it the last two years, but they're planning on bringing us back in the middle. So I might be here like some in August, which would be cool. So I get to see some summer in Japan, which everybody's like, you're going to hate it. It's, it's, it sounds a lot like Florida summer, you know, like super wet, super humid, hot, sticky. Um, and I haven't been in that that weather in over a decade. <laughs> like I lived in, I lived in Virginia until 2011 and then I moved and I haven't been in a humid area during the summer in a very long time. It'll be novel to you for about four or five days and then, and then I'll hate it. Get me yeah. out of here. Yeah. So what about you guys? What do you guys have going on? What do we got going on, Doug? We, Doug and I have, for those who don't know us already, Doug and I run a YouTube channel that we kind of consider a, a network and we've got folks who contribute videos to us for riding motorcycles from Vermont and Virginia, North Carolina, um, a couple other guys. We've got a fellow in Tennessee who just joined up with us and started sending us footage. So folks who like filming their motorcycle rides but don't know how to edit, don't know how to run a YouTube channel, can just send us their footage and we'll make them look awesome. And we all become friends and hang out like on Zoom once a week and go see each other and go on trips. But... You know, around here, Doug and I just look for things to go do on motorcycles or things to go see, excuses to ride the bikes, like go look at a car show or just whatever comes to mind, whatever we can think of. Yeah. Apparently, I just missed the Tokyo Motorcycle Show. I didn't realize it was like, mm. last week or the week before. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I've been with the guys on a couple of rides and it's a lot of fun. We've done some rides to dealers to do demo rides. Uh, Doug, do you remember when Steve time? used to ride motorcycles? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I do. I know I'm getting I thought I'm getting old, but I do I do think I do remember. <laughs> Isn't his nickname Daddy No Ride? Daddy, Daddy No Ride, Ride is yeah. what I heard. <laughs> Daddy No Ride took yeah. the bike out the last time and it wouldn't work. And now, like, yeah. Now, Steve's been with us on, a, on quite a few things. It's, it's good times. But I do have to credit Steve with giving me the adventure bike bug. Because, you know, when we, when I first met Steve, I was riding a Kawasaki Vulcan cruiser yeah, bike. I remember that. Which, yeah. Which I w- was not a fan. And he, I meet Steve for the first time and, and he's on the KTM and I'm just standing there drooling all over it <laughs> he, he's talking to somebody else and I, I don't think i moved for like 10 minutes i'm just staring at the bike and he finally comes over and he goes you want to ride it <laughs> it's like yes <laughs> yeah it's like handing somebody the crack pipe that's what happened to it me was, when i did a demo was. ride on it yeah it was only like three or four miles to the restaurant we we're going to for lunch he gets off and he's like oh i'm getting one of these yeah, <laughs> well, that's what every time I go to a demo ride for something, I feel that way. When we went to the BMW ride, that that, that um, what's that bobber they have, the three eighteen or something? Mm-hmm. That uh, yeah, like I got off of that, I'm like, oh man, what a load of fun that thing was. R eighteen, you know, R eighteen, yeah, the R eighteen, and then. The only one that I was kind of underwhelmed on was the the the, the big uh, K sixteen hundred, just because I'd come off riding with Doug the Goldwings like a couple months, maybe six months before, and the difference between the two bikes is night and day. You know, the K sixteen hundred's heavy; it feels top heavy. The the uh, Goldwing is just so well refined now and lighter and faster, and everything about it worked really well. So. But yeah, I, I mean, I, Scott and I had a conversation the other day about still trying to find a, another bike. And I had thought that he actually bought the Norden, the Husqvarna, 
And you have a good reason to, because I had been talking last fall about as if I was ready to get one, you know, January, February, I was probably going to pick it up, but I've kind of slowed that down, you know, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, they're really tough to get. We go to motorcycle dealerships and stores right now, and they have like three bikes in there. Yeah. Everything is empty, you know, Um, there's no inventory. The whole supply chain thing is completely jammed up. I wonder if the bikes are sitting in a you know container ship off the coast or what's going on. And so basically you have to put your name on a list and give the dealer a couple hundred bucks. And when they get one in and it's your turn, they call you up and they say, do you want to come get it now? You know, you know, what's really scary is when you see that same thing at car dealerships, like I told crash, I went to Sawgrass Ford, which usually they have over 400 vehicles in the lot. Mm-hmm. And I think the last time I was there, they had 80. And yeah. so the, the secondary market's going insane for what oh, they're yeah. getting for used vehicles. Yeah. And that's kind of motivated me more to get the KTM ready to sell it. Not, not because I'm, you know, I'm not tired of it. I like the bike, but there's nothing spectacular about that bike that I couldn't get another one and have the same motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a little bit dated. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know I keep harping on this and then I don't know, maybe the answer is one of these, these three tens that BMW is making. I saw a guy riding the Vitpillin the other day, the the Husky, the small one. And man, it really looks small. I was like, wow, seeing somebody on that, that's normal size, you know, not a model that they used, but I was like, Ooh, that thing's really tiny. So <laughs> Doug's bike was a lot of fun. I rode his, the 390 Adventure, and that was cool. You know, I could get used to that. And it's not heavy, right? No. It's, it's, I've been going it's also for before. sale. <laughs> yeah. Scott told for me. Yeah. It's for sale. <laughs> and I'm going back and forth on this idea. Do I want to go for this, you know, 800, 900 CC range bike? Like, I was originally looking at the KTM 890. Mm-hmm. And then I found, you know, the, the 901, the Norton 901 came out, which is basically the same bike but it more geared towards the way I would use it, which is heavier towards road and touring and a little bit of off-road as opposed to the other way around. Right. What's yeah. the differences between the two, Scott? The, the Norden, the Husqvarna has far superior um, touring characteristics. So a, like a better fairing, um, better windshield. They've redone the software on the dash. It's, it's much it, it seems to me like it's more um, easier to understand and to use. Just It just seems smoother. Um, and the seat is super comfortable as opposed to the KTM seat, which is the opposite of super comfortable. So it's, it's just geared more towards, um, it's, I mean, it seems like it's capable off-road, but it seems like it's more geared towards folks who want to spend a lot of time on the highway getting to where they're going, you know. Would you yeah, compare kind of that, that to like... What's that? I was going to say it's the halfway between, sorry, Steve, it's the halfway in between the the R and the S models, right? It's the the Norton's right in between. It's got all the right shock pieces and the pricing and all that. So it's it's a good. Yeah, the KTM had two versions, right? The S and the R, like the street and the rally. And this thing kind of plops down in the middle, takes kind of the better features from both and puts together a a nice version of it. Would you compare it to the the BMW XR 1200. I don't know what like that is. I would not. This dog knows no. what it is. Yeah. Um, S1000 XR. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. XR. Com- yeah, yeah. That's completely more different bike. Super Duke GT land. Yeah. Like, exactly. You know, yep. Yeah. Much yeah. smaller yeah. suspension travel, 17 inch wheels. Um, like yeah. The Norton, the Norton seems to like, it takes this idea that the adventure bike crowd says that they go off road, but they really do a lot of touring and it runs with it and says, you know, a lot of these adventure bikes guys are buying these bikes and spending a lot of time touring with them so let's just make an adventure bike that's really a touring bike but it yeah. looks like an adventure bike but it's it really also, wants to be it's not like aggressively ugly the way that a lot of other adventure bikes are like mm-hmm. i'm some of them you know they go full circle and they're like cool looking they're so ugly um but i think the norden is just like really good looking yeah. like generally like it's not it's not so ugly it's good it's actually just good looking <laughs> Yeah, the KTM is one of those bikes that's really funky looking. Yeah. Like like you have to like funky looking things to like it. Which I mean the Norton, yeah, it's very reminiscent of a rally bike, you know. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> we did see one in person, right? We were we were out at uh, Burn Up Company. We did see one in person. So it, yeah. it looks it it's, looks bigger in person. I thought it looks bigger than it looks in pictures. I was surprised. It's a good, really it. good looking yeah. bike. Yeah. Spe- speaking of bikes that are more that look adventurous but are more touring oriented, have you considered the 17 inch wheel Multistrada, or is that no. just like too crazy? <laughs> Not even on my radar. Yeah. Um, just a massive V4 and 17-inch wheels. <laughs> it's the cost of ownership that kills you on a Ducati. Yeah. They're, they've got a lot of that's gone down some. Like, I mean, maintenance is still expensive, but the valve adjustments are way farther spaced out now. It's um, it's not just that. It's like down here in South Florida. Oh, yeah. There's not the only people that they trust. Most of the dealerships for Ducati, I've heard horror stories about all of them. So that's oh, just right. one guy and he's really expensive because he does race bikes. But I mean, the Husky and KTM dealership is reasonable. You know, like I have my bike service there with, and it wasn't expensive. I was pretty pleased with what they were charging me compared to other places. Everything I've heard about Ducati is just through the roof. And yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah. yeah the KTM place is good people. Yeah. They've supported us and stuff. So I like, I like that dealership and it's pretty, pretty low. I mean, for me, it's ridiculous. It's in my backyard, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a Honda dealership on every corner. You can find Suzuki and Yamaha everywhere. It's just, I've been underwhelmed with everything that they've got so far. So I don't know what the answer is going to be. I'll just keep looking into rebel. <laughs> going back to that, going back to that conversation about how the inventories are super low and it's really hard to find things. You know, I was looking at the price I could get on my Bonneville and it just, it's mind-numbing that people would pay so much money for something. I've got a 2017 Bonneville with 40,000 miles on it, and I see bikes like that for sale for seven, eight grand. Yeah, and that's insane to me. Which, you know, five years ago, if you had told me you were going to get a bike with those stats, you'd be thinking it's like three or four grand, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, you know? it's one of those things. It's like, okay, do I want to sell this because I could make a lot of money with it, or I could, you know, get a lot of money back for it? But then I would have to buy something else, and everything. And you gotta, else is just it's just like yeah. It's just like else. You got to live somewhere, right? Right. So, so I've been playing with the idea of selling the Bonneville, or maybe I keep the Bonneville to ride around on the street and start looking at small displacement dirt type bikes, like Doug's, you know, KTM three ninety, but not the KTM three ninety. You know. Um, yeah. We were riding with a few friends of ours, and I spent the whole day on that bike because <laughs> just when we started oh. to go, we realized my Bonneville's tires were just toast. Right. Like it was like, I knew it was getting at the end of the life of the tires, but then it started showing its underwear. So uh-huh. yeah, I'm not taking that bike on a 400 mile day. So I put that away and got on his 390 and spent the entire day. We did over 300 miles in one day on the 390 and I wanted to like have a butt amputation at the end of the day. It's, <laughs> it's like not... sitting on a wood pile. Right. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just not comfortable. Yeah. The first thing I did on the adventure was change the seat and KTM's comfort seat was actually not bad, but the stock seat that came with, it's like sitting on a piece of wood. I loved it's my horrible. GT seat. It was, it was nice. But well, what do you weigh? Like a buck 20? So No, I'm like a solid hundred pounds more than that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you're 220. No, I absolutely am. Yeah. You're telling me that right now I weigh less than you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what what world are we this living is a, in? This is a topsy-turvy <laughs> world we've entered into. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like 215, 220 now. Um, I just weighed myself on 209. Nice. Oh. Yeah, you, there, you are, there's no way that I am lighter than you now. Like, maybe like, I mean, I did just wake up, so maybe I'm like the lightest I'm going to be all day, but I'm still <laughs> probably 215. <laughs> oh, my. This is weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve, one well, of the things we were talking about before was, you know, what what are some of these other small displacement bikes that could fill that void, right? Because Doug and I like to find little gravel roads and stuff around Florida. There's not a lot of challenging stuff here to do, but, you know, maybe we go up to Georgia or something. So what's a good bike to throw in a trailer and just do, you know, light off-road gravel roads? This is coming from a like guy that. that took his Bonneville on the sugar sand. <laughs> I know, I know. Every bike's an adventure bike, but, mm-hmm. right. but you want something with a little bit of suspension travel, you know, because I don't know how many fillings I lost going down Jane Scenic Drive with that thing. <laughs> Every time you hit a pothole, it's dunk. Well, I, I, 
I like the form factor of the midsize displacement adventure bike. I don't think I'm going to go toward a full on like dirt bike, you know, um, like an enduro or something like that. It, it's, I think I would get bored or tired quickly on a bike like that. So something in that 310 GS or the 390 adventure in that similar genre, midsize motorcycle. And that's why I was like interested in the, the smart sport pillin, but it's, it's just, I don't know. It's too cramped. It's too, you know, it, it's too it, busy being sexy to be like a motorcycle <laughs> full size person. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have right. time for you. If you're over like five, eight, Doug went down this crazy path of shopping for me. Cause when I think whenever I mention anything, you know, anybody who mentions anything, Doug starts shopping for them He's because like, he can shop oh, I love, and, it. love doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. So he went down this crazy <laughs> path of these like Chinese import adventure bikes that come in a crate and cost like seventy five. Five dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if you I can do together, that. Man. Put it together and deliver. Yep. To get it no delivered to your house, Scotty. It'll be in a box. I'll come down there with my wrenches. We'll put it together. For right. You. Does it come? It comes <laughs> with one Allen wrench and a bunch <laughs> of pictograms. Those are like key directions, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Little directions with no words on it. Yeah. But they're all based off, you know, they're all copied motorcycles from Honda technology that's, you know, 30, 40 years old, right? So, uh, you know, if you, if you looked at it and didn't look at the numbers, plates and stuff, it would be, uh, you know, looks look like an old Honda, right? Yeah. And, and four-stroke engines and stuff. So. Those um, SR, SRS, is that the company? I'm trying to think. S that's SSR. another Chinese, that's another Chinese is one company. Of them. Yeah. yeah. I've heard some decent things from the guys at uh, Cleveland Moto about those things. Like they they all have like 135s and stuff that they go beat the shit out of on this uh, some property that one of them owns, um, and they've all been super impressed with the you know build quality and everything. I was a little. A friend of mine wanted one before I had heard them talk about them. And I was like, I don't know what I can say. I've never heard anything about this company. I don't know that I could say, yeah, get a weird Chinese brand motorcycle. But the SSRs seem like they're pretty decent. Yeah, there's like Hawks. And the one I was looking at for a little while was it's called a Bashan, B-A-S-H-A-N. Okay. Models of Braz, B-R-O-Z-Z, right? So it's, <laughs> it's a 250 Honda knockoff thing. But yeah. there's a company in Georgia that imports them and they keep it in the crate. and You order it from them and it gets shipped to your door. And it's, they're like 2K, somewhere around there, about 2K now. I just imagine um, a guy in Georgia that has like a very large, like warehouse style garage um, <laughs> and like is permanently in overalls. <laughs> it's like, well, we got them Chinese backs. We going to sell you, bring a crate down, you know, like the whole, mm -hmm. the whole thing. It goes by Cooter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Come down to Cooter's Motorsport Emporium. <laughs> Like the Ural deal dealership that we visited up in uh, in Florida, yeah. there. Or I, I guess I missed the I missed the opportunity. Cooters, scooters. Cooters. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so looking at this SSR XF two fifty X dual sport, you know, it, it's thirty five hundred bucks. I mean. <laughs> it's not like they're giving these things away and they don't have no. the bike I thought they had. Like it doesn't look like they make an adventure bike anymore. Oh, okay. They've got a bunch of off-road bikes. The only on-road bike is this, this 250 in two different flavors, a street oh. version, I which cool. is... I guess they made, maybe they made some other on-road they, they did. They made like an adventure yeah. bike for a while. Right. Yeah. Um, there's also that, that genuine G400C. I don't remember if I've heard anything one way or the other about it, but I've seen it in person. They, um, in, in the world of obscure small displacement motorcycles, Cleveland Moto is the place to go visit weird stuff. I mean, we probably yeah. should have this conversation with Phil too, because he yeah, knows. I mean, Phil on. yeah, even electric bikes have crossed, you know, yeah, but, but they're just ridiculously expensive. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Even the zero motorcycles, which I thought would be affordable. I saw a guy at the at the Shell station and he was like, yeah, I think it was like 27,000 out the door. And I was like, what? You know, like, so. Yeah. Like as much as I loved riding that SRF, they're not cheap. <clears throat> but even they have some the... sort of relationship with Benelli, it looks like. I don't know if they're owned by Benelli or what the deal is. Are they own Benelli? Benelli? Uh, who does? SSR? S yeah. Uh, I think it's the same people. Benelli's owned by a Chinese company now. Okay. Yeah. And they're apparently they're the ones making this. There was this proposed Harley 300cc motorcycle that's also made by the same people that make the Benelli. So they're like copies of each other with different badges. 
pretty much. But if you're looking at mainstream small displacement dirt, but they're dual sport bikes, right? So, you know, 200, 300 CC, somewhere around there, you know, the Japanese companies, Honda's got their, the CRF 300 and it's, yeah. it's updated slightly. Uh, Kawasaki is the only one that's really put out anything new with the KLX 300. Yeah. Um, which is a really nice bike, by it the is. way. Yeah, it is. Uh, but you you're know, like, you're looking like ten or eleven grand. Yeah. For the yeah. CRF, right? I mean, I looked at those because that's what Itchy Boots is riding this year, and I think that's a really cool bike. Yeah, she's but, on a CRF rally. <laughs> she's on the rally version, but right. you, you have to get one that's quite a few years old to get it down to around five grand or so. But a Suzuki DRZ 400, which is a really good motorcycle, is 20 years old or 25 years old. I mean, it's such dated. Everything's really dated. Yeah, and everybody that wants to sell one is, like, way too proud of them, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They're like, this is a 2001 DRZ 400 with 17,000 super hard miles on it. And Mm -hmm. I would like $6,000, please. Yeah, it's like KLR, same thing. KLR. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, shit, I found that TW200 I found was a year old and I paid a little over MSRP for it. Um, I did it anyway because I really wanted one. And then I only got to ride it for a few months before I moved here. But um, I sold it for almost exactly what I paid for it because people, they hold value way too well. Yep. My friend Ronnie came to visit and ride with us for a couple of days back in February. And I rode his um, Tenere 700 for quite a while that's that's a good one that's a nice bike yeah yeah and that's and that's a good size too i think that's you know scotty and i are kind of we're starting to zero in on that mid displacement now yeah he was looking at the husqvarna and and i'm looking at the aprilia right so you know we're we're zeroing in on that 700 800 cc size for an adventure bike i feel like this this seems to happen in a lot of the various uh genres of motorcycle if you will like the it starts through a period of like getting extremely high displacement big motorcycles that go very fast or whatever have a lot of things and then after a while you get this like sort of division where there's like a big gap in the middle and it starts to get filled in by mid displacement things and then everybody kind of moves to the middle again and then they move back out like you know sport bikes when we had 600 750s and a thousands you know and now we just have kind of the opposite you know we have the, the ends of the extremes of the spectrum and nothing in the middle that's all marketing right yeah yeah what do you know about the cb300r the cb300 not a whole lot okay sounds like it's probably the same motor as the crf 300 given honda's tennis it's a little little standard bike that they've they they call it their neo sports cafe oh yeah okay i know yeah yeah, like. includes the CB650R, the CB1000R Black Edition. Yeah. But this bike retails for like five grand. What about the CB500X? I mean, that's something I was looking at too. You know, that's kind of an interesting motorcycle. Um, and there's a there's some really cool stuff for that bike. There's a rally kit for it. And yeah, rally raid pieces for that are really nice. Expensive, yeah. but nice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. could spend 4K on rally raid stuff for that right, bike. You, yeah. you, get a, you end up with a nice bike, but now you're, you got a 10K motorcycle. So why yeah. not buy the KTM? Or the, <laughs> but it was also know? a perfectly functioning motorcycle before you put all the stuff on it. So like, you don't have to do that all at once, at least. <laughs> That's true. I mean, um, even something a little bit, a little bit, um, let's see what this thing weighs just out of curiosity. Uh, I know you guys are going to shoot it down given your Ducati situation, but the Ducati desert X is another great, uh, <laughs> a potential great mid displacement adventure option. Desert X. Yeah. Pretty cool. Looking. That's it is. So Doug, what about the Aprilia you got? Oh yeah, I don't got it yet. What, which which Aprilia <laughs> is this? Which Aprilia do you not have? Yet? I have on order the Touring. Oh, the new six sixty Touring. Yes, right. Because I was I want a more of a dual sport bike. So the the KTM three ninety is a adventure is a neat bike, but it's not really a dual sport bike, and it's sure. not happy off road. And I was. <laughs> really uncomfortable standing on it scott will say he was uncomfortable sitting on it right yeah um it's a great it's a great commuting bike a great street bike uh and good for noodling around on on gravel roads and stuff like that but i'm I'm really i want something i want a dirt bike yeah (laughs) Yeah. a dirt bike that i can take on the highway and not worry about and stuff right and the the aprilia popped up because i was 
considering the the KTM 890 and stuff. I've heard nothing um, but good things about the 660 platform from Aprilia. Yeah, it's it's still early, right? So they did press rides in in Europe and stuff, and of course, it's all that's that's all journalists going out and getting you know treated, free dinners and things like that. And stuff. Yeah. So I mean, sure the person the person that I listened to about the 660 the most was probably Jensen Beeler from Asphalt and Rubber, um, mostly because he has a reputation for talking a ton of crap about a motorcycle if he doesn't like it um even if they paid for him to be there he's actually not he's basically like forbidden from test riding yamaha motorcycles because he gave <laughs> him so much shit. Um, like yamaha won't talk to him anymore um but he did he did a demo of i think the rs660 uh, like a pre-production model and was really brutal about it because it had some like software issues um, and he like refused, he like, he was basically like, I am not going to say anything good about this bike until they fix some stuff. And I guess they ended up fixing it. And then he was like, okay, now I feel comfortable recommending this bike, but he loved the Tuono and I don't know if he's ridden the Touareg yet, but yeah, he basically, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's a neat thing. And, and talking to Jed's, Jed's moto up in Vermont, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he's very Japanese oriented guy. He's like, Oh, you know, the reliability and, you know, it's going to spend all its time in the shop. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> i'm yeah. picking this bike for all the wrong reasons right brand new model year you know new model bike they haven't done dirt bikes for what 30 years or whatever true I mean, the, the dealership's all the way down in miami so that's you know 50 60 miles to get down there with it and all that so and it's all the 6, wrong thousand yeah it's six thousand less than the desert slide yeah so all the wrong reasons for picking it but it's an italian bike and i've always wanted an aprilia so this <laughs> kind of checks all those boxes oh dirt bike aprilia Hmm. <laughs> yeah this is a cool bike i really like it the tour yeah, i can't wait to you get it the 660 tour yeah yeah. Yep. yeah i mean when he doug first told me about it i went on and looked at it. i'm like wow that's neat i like it the desert sled is so super cool but it's like be, eighteen thousand. okay i was just making sure you were looking there so there's the there's the scrambler desert sled and then there's the ducati desert x and they are completely different motorcycles <laughs> the, the desert x is what i'm talking about yeah yeah i just looked at yeah it, yeah, it's, it's such a cool bike well, yeah, sure I mean, it's cool. like a rally bike. Yeah, it is. It looks like, yeah. <clears throat> How much are those going for? I think so um, 18000 Are they out yet? Is this the new? They are out yet. They, they are out now, like just, just released. How much is the Desert X? 18000 yeah, I, I saw somewhere. A, I, feel, yeah. I see an article here that's comparing it against the the Norden 901, and side by side, I mean, they look so similar. They do, yeah. They have a very. They share a lot of the same bones, right? It's nice. I looking. mean, all these bikes that come in looking to have that rally look, I'm I'm attracted to. I like all these. And this yeah. bike's 445. Start, starting the MSR, starting MSRP is 16795. So yeah, you're going to be 18 or more out the door on a desert. Yes, yeah, it's the same price range as the 901. Yeah, or the 890. Cool. I did not know about that bike. That is neat. I'm trying this, to find... You know, the CB500X is like $7,200. Now, I'm not making a direct comparison between the two or any of sure. them. I'm just thinking yeah. that in that power and weight class, you know. Well, the CB, I don't, I don't know what, how many, how much horsepower the CB500 is, but the Desert X has 110 horsepower. I'm going to guess Oof. the CB500 is like half that. Yeah. It's probably 60. Yeah. I would say. But it's 60 extremely reliable Honda horsepower, where this is 110 Italian horsepower. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, and I, Doug and I had this conversation, the thing that would really keep me away from the Aprilia is the dealership. Oh, yeah. Because I, yeah. I dealt with that dealership with the Moto Guzzi. And it's not, it's just inconvenient. It's on a major street. There's no back door. Everything's got to go through the front. Yeah. The, um, the Desert X is a 937cc engine. So it's right in that same range with the 901 Norton, um, you know, when it, and the KTM 890. It's so Steve, I think the dealership moved because I went I went down there to talk to them before I ordered the bike, and it's a unique super bike down in Miami. And it's right next to 95. I mean, right, you can see it. From oh, 95. they yeah, they must have moved because they used to so be they, on. Yeah, so Brickle. now they're in a building yeah. that looks like somebody's house. <laughs> this big orange <laughs> building looks like somebody's house, and I'm on the the GS right. So I pull up, just I get pull off the road, and you know you have to go back behind somebody else's house to get to this place right and at the gate there's a chicken a rooster at the gate and he won't let me in <laughs> 
<laughs> he's standing in the road at the gate and wouldn't let me in. I had to wait till he was done doing whatever he was doing and get out of the way so I could park the motorcycle. But they got a lot of bikes in there now, a lot of um, a lot of Aprilias and uh, and Viagustas and stuff like that. So uh, they, they've they've changed. It's it's a little bit different, but it's still inconvenient, right? Not Miami, right? But you know, I figure I'm just going to throw it in the truck and run it down there and drop it off and I'll pick it up when they get it fixed, right? So this is not, it's not my primary motorcycle. That's why I don't really care, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I took the, the Moto Guzzi down there a couple of times, it was, um, by, you know, I tried riding it down there and waiting for it. And that was kind of a nightmare just with the traffic. And then I took it down on the trailer. And at the time there was nowhere to, there was nowhere to offload it. Like they were on Brickell Avenue. So this sounds like they probably have a better situation. Uh, yeah, they've got a parking lot and it's it. They have their own self-standing building with a showroom and all that stuff now. And that's little, good. I need to go down. Like, like one or two bays in the garage and stuff. But yeah, but, no, that's cool. Yeah. They didn't. They, yep. It was totally not like that. You know, they were in a tiny strip store with. Yeah, they they had to bring a ramp out to get it up the stairs because it was like up three stairs to get into the front door. So the guy would bring a ramp out and like push it up the ramp. I'm like, oh, this is a nightmare. Mm. Um, that's good. So it's a better situation. You know, yeah, I, wish, I, I wish there was that, a dealer up here. I visited that old store with our friend Hugo, Doug, um, back when I had the 250, back when I still had my TU250X. So that goes back a ways. But um, talking about reasons to go ride a motorcycle and visit something, we need to go down there so I can see it. Because I haven't been in there, just to just to have something to do and go down there and look and go right through the tunnel under the yeah, three or four times. Yeah, <laughs> Scotty, now do that. There's a tunnel that goes in Miami that goes to the port where all the cruise ships come in and out. And Scotty and I'll just go run through the tunnel back and forth. <laughs> It's this weird tunnel that goes sweeping curve down under the bay. Oh. So you're going at a turn and downhill, really, really sweeping, and then back up out of it into the light again, and you're on an island. It's really great. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, if you have a motorcycle with a non-standard exhaust, you can hear it very clearly in mm-hmm. such an enclosed space. Yeah. Plus some idiot leaning on the horn the whole time he's in there. Yeah. Some guy. Name. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's why Steve doesn't ride with us anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's see. I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Scott and Doug if you guys could pick a bike for Steve with what we know about Steve. <laughs> What mm-hmm. what would we tell Steve he has to ride if if that were a situation that were an option? I mean, you know, you, you can either make it something that you think he would want, or you could make it something that you would, he would suffer on. But I don't, I, you know, um, <laughs> I'm trying you to make it first, I, Scotty. Yeah, because I'll probably steal this from you if I say. Go it. ahead. No, go ahead. Tenere 700. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good okay. solid, good solid motorcycle. Not a lot of electronic goo guys on it. Um, wonderful bike to ride and stand on. Great in the dirt. Just fine in the street. I think mm-hmm. it's a. I think it's a nice bike. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that that would be practical to go with the beast as he's traveling around overlanding, and something that size. Um, since I'm just spending imaginary money, I'd, right. I'd probably get him the KTM 890R. Okay. I mean, both of those are great bikes, and I'd probably enjoy both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm going to do a bumper toe, like with the the um, ramp that Chris sent me, I'm limited to about 500 pounds, um, which I think both of those bikes yeah, come in. They're both sub 500 pound bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've never seen the Tenere 700 yet. I haven't seen it yet. I, yeah. I've, I've seen it a few times in person. It's it's cool looking. Yeah. It's the like Scotty and, I, bikes. Scotty and I did the Yamaha demo ride. Scotty and I do a lot of demo rides, by the way, but we did yeah, the yeah. Yamaha demo ride. And and the bike that I wanted to like was, what was it? The, the MT10 or whatever it is, the yeah. MT09. Yeah. The 109. Yeah. That guy. So I test rode that, didn't like it, and then had another chance to ride. So I'll ride the Tenere 700, which I thought I wouldn't like. And I really liked it. <laughs> Why did you think you wouldn't so, like it? Just out of curiosity. What was the reason? I just, I thought it was, I didn't think it was going to be as, just lame excuse, as good as it was, right? I didn't expect to, it to be so comfortable. The ergonomics were great. The power was good. Um, it's just a good all around bike. I just really enjoyed it. You know, that I, bike, course, go, this bike's only like 10 grand. So yeah, you look at it's price that, right. You think, you think, well, it's got no bells and whistles. It doesn't have all these rider modes. It doesn't have fancy TFT display. It's going to be crap. And you get on it and it's just a ball of fun. 
and it's really, really confidence inspiring. And the two bikes I rode that day was the Super Tenere 1200 and the Tenere 700. Mm -hmm. And I hated the 1200. I thought the 1200 is just a gigantic waste of resources. It's so big. But all, it's so huge. They don't have, again, you're going to big bike like this with all this and it's, and it's expensive. This should have all the bells and whistles. It's got like, it's got that monochrome display that looks like it came off of your Casio watch from 1989, yeah. you know, and none of the rider modes and aids that you're used to on every other bike in the world right now. And it's heavy. It feels top heavy. I hated it. But I got to ride the Tenere 700 and I was bouncing up and down, going down the road and jumping on it and just having a blast. That's a fun bike. And it's, man, it's so much bike for 10 grand. Yeah. It, it looks very much like a dirt bike. It really does. Um, it, does. it feels like a dirt bike when you ride it. It feels like the suspension's all there, right? I mean, it, you know, it settles down and you sit on it and it's, mm -hmm. it's cushy, you know, over bumps and things like that. So it, it, it does feel like a true dual sport bike. That's what I really this like. This could be a it. contender, honestly. The more I'm looking at those 450, Ride one. Yeah, I should try and do a demo ride. Um, ten two is the retail price on it. Yeah, wow. they're, they're real reasonable. And like like Doug was saying, there's no, it's like no frills. You know, you're not going to have cruise control. You're not going to have, you know, a lot of electronic rider aid things. But, I'm not really looking for that right now. I'm just looking right. for a bike that I can, like Scott said, load on the back of the van and then go tooling around when you get to um, someplace. Okay. In that vein, the, um, hold on, I got to find out what it's, I can't remember what it's called now. It, it was sold with the Honda City car. Um, oh, that little... Box motorcycle uh -huh. box thing. Yeah, what's that called? Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. I have a picture of one, but I can't remember what the hell it's called. A moto compo. That that's that's, that's my choice for Steve's easily portable motorcycle. A Honda moto compo. All right, let's see. Fold It'll fit yeah, inside cool. the beast, right? You could fit it, you could fit it under the driver's seat. It's so nice. You could put that in the top box of the. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen these things. These are really cool. Yeah, the are. handlebars like tra uh, telescope yeah. up out of it. It's uh, Phil bought two of them the last time I was at uh, AMA Vintage Days a few years ago. <laughs> there was there was one of these sitting in the grass. At, we went to the Dania Vintage Motorcycle Show mm -hmm. together in February again, and uh, yeah, there was one of these sitting out on the grass, a yellow one. And this guy just like folded up the handlebars, tucked a few things in, picked it up under his arm. Yeah. They, it back down, unlocked everything, opened it up, started it up. <laughs> yeah, they, they came. They came with. I think. I think they were sold in conjunction with the car called a Honda the City. Um, the idea was that, like in in Japan, a commuter, a family, like a husband and wife or whatever, could commute to the city, and then one of them could take the car, and the other could take the little Moto Compo mm -hmm. um, to to their to like the last mile of their commute. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's a funny funny concept but you know hey scott was that jonathan from the vintage iron club that had that bike because i thought he had a couple of them i did not talk to him so i have no idea who it was okay. but there was yeah several of the guys from the vintage iron club were there and i can guarantee yeah. you every ride would feel like an adventure <laughs> no I, listen and this would yeah. be a very short adventure on this bike but i think this thing is super cool <laughs> like i remember seeing this you wouldn't filter between cars you would filter under cars yeah, yeah. yeah. you could also you yeah. could filter between other motorcyclists and like this is the hepa filter of motorcycle situations there's actually a bunch of model kits that you can buy like die cast models of this thing so it was probably pretty interesting and pretty popular well get crash to bring one home with them <laughs> Bring one home for Steve. Okay. Do that, Crash. See yeah, if bring you can one find home one of those things, Crash. That'd I mean, be kind of cool, actually. I've seen them in the States, yeah, so I, I'm sure that I can find them out here. Yeah. <laughs> and then I um, want to get pictures of Steve riding it. Yeah, there's, there is like a... Like that, you buy it off of Pinterest. Yeah, there's, there's a... I would say a non-zero chance that I'm going to try to find a goofy Japanese car and a motorcycle or three to bring home. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been kind of keeping an eye out for, if you guys think of any weird Japanese cars, you know, while I'm out here, you know, that you, that you think would be interesting to bring home, let me know. I'm, I've been kind of poking around. Um, a lot of people over here, a lot of Americans over here really like driving Suzuki Jimnies, which were the Suzuki mm -hmm. Samurai oh, yeah. in the States. Oh, yeah. But the ones over here are almost 
all the K car versions, so they all have a 660 or under CC engine. Yeah. Um, the the best version of the Jimny that was really ever made is the Samurai that came to the States. But I had that car. I got yeah. one new in 1990 and had it for two, three years. And I loved my Samurai. Oh, man. I, I, I would buy one of those today if I could find one at a reasonable price and I had the money to spend on it. Right. I mean, they're so they're so valuable in the States that the prices over here have gone up. Like, yeah, I bet, the, I bet. you know, because people are trying to, and they know people are t- taking them back to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's a ton of unusual cars. Like I've thought about even just getting like, um, like not the Skyline GTR, but like the Nissan Skyline because it's like got that luxury car, like old luxury car look. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I know some people like are really into over in the States, but I don't know. I'm going to maybe find a weird Japanese car to bring home and a bike or two or three or I don't know. I could take like 10. <laughs> I could have a whole like, All right. collection. So let me ask you guys' opinion on a Royal Enfield. The Scram 411. Is... The what? That's, that's the new one that's based off of the Himalayan, right? I think so. It looks similar. Scrambler version of the Himalayan. Yeah. Yeah. Scram I've 411. A, I've ridden the Himalayan. Um, and it was it was nice. I mean, I don't obviously don't know about reliability because I didn't I do the demo, but oh, this thing. I've seen a picture of this. The first time I saw a picture of this, I thought it was a Moto Guzzi because it had the one version of it has those uh, red like Royal Enfield things on the side of the tank that I thought were cylinder heads, you know? It looked like the head sticking out of a Motoguzzi, yeah. Yeah. The knee knockers. Yeah, this is an interesting bike for sure. Um, did you guys, have you guys heard anything about like people's, you know, enjoyment of the Himalayan? Like, do they, is it reliable? Is it, I don't know. We have one acquaintance in North Carolina that has a Himalayan. I don't know how to pronounce that. Himalayan, Himalayan. Himalayan, yeah. Um, that's Marie and she's, she's had it for over a year now and she, she enjoys that bike. She's also got a Bonneville T100. <laughs> So she's got the, the spectrum of motorcycles. But I remember when she was shopping for a bike and her husband wanted her to get the KTM 390. I was like, no, I don't get that. Get the, get the Himalayan. And she's been very happy with it. She's not a heavy duty rider, though. So it, it doesn't mean, look far, like the Scram's available in the U.S., though. From, as far as reliability, now. I mean, Itchy Boots rode one from India to Malaysia to Iran to Turkmenistan to the Netherlands. And- yeah, I do think that, like, there's one thing, like, you know, riding an, a Royal Enfield in India, you're going to be like parts everywhere if you need anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you needed anything, but if you need something, you're in the land of the Royal Enfield. Yeah, you know, that's right. Um, in the United States, I'm not sure their dealer network is not the best, but nobody's is really like, what are you like Honda or Harley? And then everybody else is kind of like, Meh. don't we have a friend who works for Royal Enfield crash? Maybe. I, yeah. um, I can't for the life of me. It weighs the Scram 411 only weighs 407 pounds um, at curb weight. So that's definitely in your weight range. Yeah. I just like going back to the dealer support thing. I like the idea of like a Yamaha that's everywhere or a Honda that's everywhere, especially. I just keep leaning more towards these smaller displacement motorcycles because they would be maybe more fun. It's going to have to be some sort of an adventure bike because, you know, like the next trip we're doing is going to be to Baja and it's going to be a a lot of off-road. This is... The Himalayan or Himalayan, whatever we want to call it, I always thought was kind of interesting, kind of neat, you know, but yeah. I like the Scram better. That just doesn't seem like it's available on the U.S. website. Yeah. SNS Motorcycles is supposed to be doing go-fast parts for some of the Royal Enfield bikes. It's probably like the Continental, right? I think they're going to do, you know, because yeah. SNS makes, they make Harley stuff, yeah. but they're they're branching out now and they're making uh, parts for Indians and Royal Enfield. There's something else that they just got into. That was one of the worst vibrating motorcycles I've ever ridden in my life, but I think I got a bad example. It belonged to one of the guys who belonged to the guy that I bought the Moto Gucci from. He was really excited when he got it and I took it for a ride and I, I had to get off of it. It vibrated so bad, but he sold it right away. I don't think he liked it. I just think it might've been set up wrong too, because I've never heard that complaint from other people. Yeah. The 411, a single cylinder again? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, it's kind of cool. It's got promise. Yeah. It's not going to win any races for sure, but it's got oh, a real cool look to it. Just and, a little bit beefier version of the original Himalayan, right? Yeah. The original... It doesn't have the double fenders, which I, I just can't get past that on the Himalayan. The double fork fender thing. That's all I see now when I look at one. Okay. Now I got to look at It's like a guy up. wearing two hats. 
It's got the high beat and the wheel fender both. And yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's a that's a um a BMW thing for for a long time ago. But they're not. It's not even a pronounced. beak though. It's a, it's another fender. Oh, you're I right. wouldn't even call it a beak. It's you're got two absolutely fenders. Absolutely right. It's. Oh my! I never noticed this. No, I'm sorry. I ruined it for you now. No, that's all fine. you're going to see now, right? Yeah, that is 100 percent like a. <laughs> Yeah, not a beat, a fender. And yeah. a That's really fender. weird. That's so weird. <laughs> Why would they do that? You know what would go great know. on top of this cowboy hat? A second cowboy hat. A second cowboy hat, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it's a pretty cool looking machine. Um, get a Ural. I'm just kidding. No, they're junk, man. I, I, everybody I know that's had a Ural is the thing's falling apart on them. Yeah, I'm just Will we tell you about the Ural dealership we, uh, we found? I've actually been oh. there before. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness, Gene up there. He's such a nice guy. Did he tell you his history? Where he came from? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah he's incredible. East, Eastern Airlines, yeah. He he was he, mm-hmm. he built my so right across from where Gene's place is, my my ex father in law had a hunt camp and Gene built his like swamp buggy. Because that was another thing he had going on. He had Corvette's dealership too for a while. Wasn't it called Holopa Corvette at some point? I don't know. Yeah, no, he was, he's nice guy. He, he's a character. Nice guy. He really is. Yeah. He was okay with the Urals with what's going on. I don't know how that's going to play out. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've heard that they're not, well, they're not doing the sidecars anymore, right? They had already announced that they weren't doing any more sidecars and that was no longer going to be a thing with them. Is that right? Really? Uh, really? I they were halting, they're halting production or something, right? Right now. <laughs> So maybe I dreamed it. I thought that they were no longer going to make sidecars and it was just going to be regular bikes. But that's that's like the only thing they sell, though. Yeah, that's, that's why you buy a Ural. The whole point of a Ural. <laughs> the whole know. point of a Ural is a sidecar. Yeah, a super Don't depend on Amen Moto for news, yeah. news flashes, guys. Right. Just, the, the reason to buy a Ural is to get the sidecar to mount onto something reliable. Right. Did, did, right. You guys, did you guys hear the story about Chuck's Ural when we went on the motorcycle trip? Oh, did God. I tell you that? The final what drive happened? ate itself. So, oh. yeah. So Chuck... From Wheel Nerds shows up. We we contacted him and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna be in Colorado. We're gonna he's gonna go with us like on the last part of the trip. He, his intention was to go all the way to Montana, and we met in Dutch Hill in Colorado. We were camping and." He spent the night there. We got up in the morning, loaded everything up. We're going down this road and all of a sudden he stops. And we, first of all, his stuff was falling off the bike. Like anything that he had hooked to it or strapped on it. Like he had a GV case kind of on the side of it. That kind of came off and was laying down the road and we went and got that. And then I forgot where we were, but he pulls off the side road. He's like, bike's not going to go anywhere. And the like crash of the final drive just came apart. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Spencer goes, takes off, goes and finds a phone. It ended up costing him. He had to have it towed to Fort Collins, which wasn't close. It was like I think he ended up hundred miles. Yeah, I think he ended up paying over two thousand dollars for that repair and everything. Mm. And he apparently that part. Oh, the guy was like, "Yeah, these things fail a lot," and then they couldn't get the part, and then finally somebody had one. It was a whole ordeal. But that that's sour. That and a buddy of mine has one, and it's just it's rusting apart. Like they don't use the paint's not great. Everyone says, well, you should repaint the whole thing. I'm like, what? So I know the newer ones for a long time were powder coated. Like they did ever, the whole thing was powder coated. Well, this wasn't a newer one. My buddy had, it was an older one. Yeah. And it didn't have, it was not fuel injected and, or maybe it was, but it was crappy. He just had nothing but problems with it all the time. He didn't want want to go on a ride because he was afraid he was going to break down. Right. Yeah. I like the joke of if you talk to your owners, they're like, oh, well, what year is it? And if it's like after like 2017 or something, I go, oh, those are the ones with the round wheels. (laughs) 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 It's like pre 2000 and I don't know, 17 or 12 or whatever year it was. Like they were using wheels that would go out around super fast. (laughs) Yeah. Not a consideration. (laughs) Well, the search continues. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a CRF 300L rally, but I want to avoid that, you know, like full on dirt bike thing. Sure. Yeah. Definitely don't get a CRF 450L. That's, that is a hundred percent a dirt bike with a license plate on it. Right. Like if you want to go win Baja, great. But if you want to do anything other than that, (laughs) no. Um, Daddy Dakar. Yeah. 
Um, so I think uh, the first step is going to be to sell the KTM and then yeah, get, yeah. get the Moto Guzzi to where I really want to. Because I, I told Scott, like, the, the trip for next year is going to be Barber. I'm going to take the van to Barber with the Moto Guzzi. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, Doug, Scott, where can people find your escapades? Our escapades are on YouTube. We are the Allied Motorcycle Entertainment Network. And you can just go to amenmoto.com and it takes you right there. Allied that's, Motorcycle that's, Entertainment Network. That's called a backronym when you start with the uh, the word exactly. and you make it mean something. Exactly. So Amen Moto on the YouTubes mm-hmm. where, where the kids are watching the, the digital videos as the youths <laughs> would say. Exactly. And uh, okay. You cannot be found on TikTok. No TikTok. What? No TikTok? You guys cannot haven't be done found. any TikTok We're too dances? old. All right. Yeah, we're Look too old for beard. TikTok. Exactly. I thought about like a good April Fool's thing for us, Crash, that we were going to come out and say that we were changing our content to TikTok and it's going to be all dance videos. That would be pretty funny. Um, Well, you can find us wherever you found us. If you're listening to us, you obviously figured it out. Um, But (laughs) if somehow this has made it to you without your any putting any effort into it, uh, we are at the number two wheels studios.com to wheelsstudios.com this is the motorcycle show we are on the instagram at two wheel studios we're on facebook at two wheel studios there's a theme there you know pretty pretty consistent across the social media platforms we are also not on tiktok however um despite the clearly youthful uh panel of guests we have today and uh hosts we are not we are all too old for tiktok um and i'm the youngest of us and i'm still too old for tiktok so having said that get out and ride see ya bye